0: Your Word, it challenges and exhorts us to elevate our praying. I pray that You might help us to understand and apply it eagerly, that we might pray with fearlessness, with courage, even with audacity. Give us wisdom to pray according to Your plans and Your power ask that You might guard us against thoughtless, flippant, and even selfish desires. That You would guard us against projecting human limitations upon You. In this room today, there are innumerable needs and hurts and opportunities. Father, I pray that You will manifest Your plans and power in all of those situations. That You would increase our trust in You. Our desire to obey You. We pray that, Lord, we, uh, we live in a community that's prosperous. Even beyond normal standards, we often rest in our affluence and the comforts it affords. We face many temptations to be materialistic, to idolize stuff. We're tempted to be frivolous. Even become bored with our blessings. Forgive us when we mismanage Your gifts. I pray that You might fill us with the desire to advance the gospel. That You might make us passionate for Your glory. Lord, we pray that You might send revival. I pray today that You might send revival to my heart. Or that you might send revival to our church, that you would guard us from simply increasing religious activity, but that you would place in us a desperation for your spirit to move and to work in us. Make us bold intercessors, make us fearless evangelists, make us faithful stewards of our material wealth. Make us passionate for unity, even among diversity in your church. Make us effective, impactful as salt and light in our community. And Lord, even to the furthest reaches of this world. Add to our numbers. Lord, multiply laborers for the harvest through this church, through the universal church. You tell us in Your Word that the fields are white unto harvest. So we ask that You would raise up and equip and prepare and empower, Lord, and send out laborers for that harvest. Do it here. Do it in and through us. Is our prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Ephesians chapter 3 is one of those wonderful passages of scripture last week we began looking at this remarkable prayer that paul prays in chapter 3 we began with verse 14 this week we conclude this section he began this section by saying for this reason and it begs the question for what reason and he tells us that it's because of god's incredible plan and His work of redemption. Before creation was, God was at work. God was planning. God was preparing. He included dates, names, every minute detail. There's nothing that God has not factored in to His plan and purpose. And that's certainly, if not stated Clearly, explicitly in this passage, in this book, in this letter, it is certainly implied in everything that he says. The dividing walls of hostility have been destroyed. There is an astounding rescue underway, reconciliation impossible for us to accomplish, but yet graciously provided by God, leading to a marvelous restoration. This is what Paul's writing. This is what Paul is caught up in. And as he's doing this, reminding, rehearsing himself of these things, he falls into this state of prayer, we might say. He moves into this prayer, and it becomes a doxology, an offering of praise and worship to God. And he prays, this incredible prayer for the people, for other Christians, for the Ephesian believers, and for you and I. The hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles has been eviscerated by the atoning work of Christ. And He has made one new people in place of the two. And for these reasons... Paul says he prays and he asks God to strengthen Christians inwardly by the Spirit. On the inside, to prepare them and equip them and enable them for what He wants to do in us. This God of immeasurable power. Make them to experience and know what is unknowable. To learn, experience, and savor the unlimited dimensions of Christ's love. Fill them, he says, with the fullness of God. Armitage Robinson, who is a British clergyman, said this, he said, No prayer that has ever been framed has uttered a bolder request than what Paul has prayed here in these verses. Now, we may be tempted to push back thinking about Knowing what's unknowable, that almost sounds contradictory, doesn't it? Paul, you must be out of your mind. This sounds super spiritual, but honestly, isn't it asking a bit much? Aren't you just a little bit overboard, Paul? How can he possibly pray in such a bold and fearless manner? And Paul answers this in these final two verses. It is indeed reasonable. Why? That's what we want to explore this morning. Why? Why is it that Paul is able to pray such a bold prayer? And why is it that we should follow and emulate the example of Paul and pray in a similar fashion? He gives us three reasons for praying bold prayers. He tells us that God is infinitely able he tells us that God is abiding and working in Christians, and he tells us that God deserves and receives all glory forever and ever. So let's unpack these truths this morning. My hope is that when you leave here today, you will leave here committed to a bold prayer life, a bold expectation of God. In fact, it was William Carey who said that we should expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. It's been said in verses 18 and 19 we find a spotlight on the infinite dimensions of God's love in Christ, Christ's love for us. And verses 20 through 21 spotlights the infinite dimensions of God's power. So he praised this experience of Christ's complete and full unabated love in our lives and then he says this is accomplished through the infinite dimensions of God's power so Paul first of all says now to him he changes focus away from praying for the people to how he can pray this way to the one who is the source for answering this prayer and he says God is infinitely able. We can afford to pray this way. We can pray boldly because our God is immeasurable in His power, in His capacity. We just can't get our minds around that. We see everything through limitations. We see everything through a lens of finiteness. Even when we're trying to think in unlimited ways, we really can't bring ourselves to do it. But Paul argues that we pray boldly because God has this infinite capacity. This infinite power for what? To do superabundantly more than we ask. More than we can ever ask. Children ask endlessly, don't they? Can I have this? Can we do that? Are we there yet? I remember as a kid, about this time of year, maybe a little earlier, we'd get in the mail one of those... Um, Sears or J.C. Penney's Christmas catalogs. Any of you remember those? I'm dating myself, I know. They they probably don't do those anymore. But I mean, my sister and I would spend hours thumbing through those pages. There was so much stuff in there. It's like turning a six or seven or eight-year-old loose in a toy warehouse. We'd have wide eyes, unbridled desire, and we basically wore out those catalogs in a couple of months. And it was always a fight to see who was going to get the catalog to be able to look and dream and imagine. Now we were cautioned, even taught, our household has limited means. Identify something, identify a couple of things that you really think you want, and let's just stick to that. At the time, my desires were only for toys, for playthings. Today, I have much more ability to acquire those things than I had when I was seven or eight. Still limited, but not limited in the way I was then. But I can't remember the last time I looked at one of those catalogs. You see, my desires have changed, hopefully maturing. The focus, the needs, all have changed and altered, evolved. But God is not limited. He's infinitely able and powerful. Whatever need there is in our lives, whatever desire is there before us, He is able, more than able, superabundantly, more beyond than anything we can ask. I recently read about a woman named Mary Nelson, and her story illustrates the point that Paul is making here. In 1983, Mary Nelson was a childless woman working in her garden in St. Louis, praying while she worked. She was burdened and asked that God might help her in her grief for the absence of children in her life, but also in her bitter awareness of those ladies women who could have children but chose to abort instead she prayed and asked god there in the garden to give her help her to give life to children in whatever way that might lead 9 months later mary gave birth to the first pregnancy resource center in st louis And since that time, literally thousands of children have been spared due to the prayers and labors of Mary Nelson and others who have followed her. She asked. She had a very limited expectation in her asking. She had a narrow view of what that asking should look like and the answer to that should look like. And God had a much larger way of answering that prayer. He's able to do immeasurably above what we ask. I only know what I know, but He knows all things. And He has this incredible divine plan that stretches out for all of eternity. I'm unable to put that in context. He's working to fulfill His eternal plans and purposes, and He does it in and through us. So when we ask, for those limited things, maybe even those childish things, and God has so much more that He wants to do in and through us. But not only do we pray boldly because God is able to do super abundantly more than we ask, but to do super abundantly more than we can think or imagine. I looked through those catalogs at 6, 8, and 10. I had no concept of how much better it is to give than to receive. At that age, I had a one-dimension view, right? It's better to receive. Much better to receive. Or maybe if my sister receives, I might get some benefit from what she gets too. Because I was bigger and stronger. I could beat her up and take it from her, Right? And she would tell you that happened, but it never did. I had no concept of having my own wife and my own family and my own children. I had no concept of life's complexities and needs. I could not understand greater blessings than what I could see immediately in front of me. Things like relationships and health and love... Things like doing good for others. Things like spiritual growth and understanding and peace and comfort. Even now, I cannot imagine much beyond my immediate context. But God knows no limits. He's able to always exceed our thoughts. He tells us, my thoughts and ways are so far above yours. We can never exhaust God's power we can never exhaust His ability. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. It has a parallel verse in Isaiah 64.4 From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for Him. I can't understand eternity. I've tried. I have tried to understand it. To comprehend in some small way what eternity is like. To think that the Godhead in eternity past before there was ever a creation, we can understand a, a literal view of creation in its five, six, eight, maybe ten thousand years. That's stretching far beyond uh, anything that we can experience, but we certainly can understand when we put it in years. But when you move past that into eternity before creation came to be, it's very hard. But sometime before creation, the Trinity came together and made a plan, a covenant together. They were going to create. They were going to allow creation to fall. And then they were going to redeem, restore creation. What about before the covenant that they made? What was going on before that? Do you ever wonder that? I want to know. Inquiring minds want to know, right? What was going on before the Trinity decided to create and restore I try to think about the expanse that is all creation. I was reading just this week about how the universe is expanding and growing and trying to put into context how what we do know is out there, and it just blows my circuits. And yet, and yet, God spoke it into being. God, the Scripture says, sustains it with His Word. He upholds all things with His Word, with His power. There are atoms and matter that are beyond our comprehension. Billions and billions of people on this planet. That's enough to blow my circuits. But thinking about all of the universe stretching out and... God spoken into being. Is there anything that I can ask Him that's too taxing for Him? Is there anything that I can think of that He hasn't already thought of? He knows it all. And so we can come to Him with boldness in praying because He is infinitely able. But also we should pray boldly because God is abiding and working in us. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands this morning, but just ask you a question. How many of you have a relationship with Christ this morning? How many of you know that you have been regenerated, that you've been made a new creature in Christ? That you have the hope of forgiveness, the hope of everlasting life in His presence? If you know this, then God is abiding and working in you. Even now, as you look around, we see limitations. We see the outer shell of the person. We see that which was dust, Scripture tells us, and that God fashioned into a human being. And that He breathed the breath of life into. And that He has restored, renewed, created anew in Christ Jesus. According to the working According to the power at work in us, he says. According according to is a way he uses to indicate the fullest measure. According to the working of his power in us. Now, power is just an expression of God's sovereign force. By his power, he brought the world into existence. By his power, he resurrected from the dead. By his power, he brings us forth from death to life. By His power, He brings the fallen creation into a new creation. You know, Jesus was preparing His disciples for His departure. After three, three and a half years of ministry, He was getting ready. He knew the, the cross was coming uh, right before them. He was going to die. And the disciples, they hadn't really gotten that. But He was preparing them for His departure. John 3, 13 through 16 is... Uh, very intimate view into what Jesus was talking to His disciples about, even on the eve, even on the uh, last hours of His life with them here on this earth. And a key part of this discussion with them had to do with the Holy Spirit. Listen, John 14, 15 through 17. This is what He says, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper. Another helper, in other words, one just like me, another one just like me, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. To be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. John 14, 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home, our dwelling place, our abode with him. Seems far-fetched, doesn't it? Paul writes to the Ephesians in the first chapter, you remember, he said, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. This resurrection power, what Christ displayed there when he came out of the tomb, when he came back from the dead, is the power that is working, at work, in you, in me, even today. Superabundantly more than you can ever imagine or think. In Christ, you are no longer in Adam. If you have repented of your sin and trusted in Christ's finished work. You remember when Jesus was encountering, His encounter with Nicodemus there in John 3, and Nicodemus was asking questions about the kingdom of God. Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And then we see Paul developing that in Ephesians 2, 1, dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. This is the state before Christ. Ephesians 2, 5, But even when we were dead, He has made us alive together with Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace you have been saved by faith. Through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Fulfilling what He promised through the prophet Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit. I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In Christ, we are new creatures. We've been regenerated. That comes with new desires. It comes with new power, new capability, new opportunity because God dwells in you through His Spirit. He is a sovereign God and He will accomplish every plan and purpose that He has established. His power is evidenced as He's creation into existence, as we've already said. Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says, He sustains all things with His Word. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. Now Think about that. When you look at the Planets making their revolutions around, making their cycle around the sun. And the sun is making its moves around the galaxy. I mean, it blows my mind. I know Steve can explain this very well, probably in very simple terms for us, but it blows my mind that all these things are going. The sun is traveling in its cycle Over 500,000 miles an hour. Did you know? You never knew you were so fast, did you? You never knew it. God's holding it all together with His Word, through Him and in Him, and He is dwelling in you in the power of His Spirit. He's living and working in every Christian by His Spirit. The Spirit gives us the ability to see and understand God's truth. Apart from God's Spirit, you can't recognize or understand God's truth. You see it all the time. You read to someone who's not in Christ, someone who has never been convicted of their sin, never repented of their sin, never indwelt by the Spirit of God, and they look at the Word of God and this blank, glazed look comes. They don't get it. The Spirit gives us strength to obey, to serve for God's glory. The strength, the Spirit is searching and purifying within us, continuing to move us forward into that new creature, manifesting the newness in our daily lives. He produces fruit in us. He produces fruit for the kingdom through us. His Spirit is working completing your salvation. Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, Paul wrote, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's sanctifying you in ways that you may not recognize. He's working through you and producing fruit. Our praying should merge with God's will and His work. Paul argues that it's reasonable to pray boldly because God is infinitely able and because God is abiding and working in Christians. And thirdly, it's reasonable to pray boldly because God deserves and receives all glory forever. All glory forever. And we aren't wired all the time in the way in which I'm about to describe but we are in many cases you know if if someone comes to you and asks you listen can I talk to you for a minute I admire your parenting skills and I need to ask you a parental question what effect does that have on you do you look at them and go tough I learned tough lessons go figure it out for yourself is that the way you respond no you're flattered, aren't you? You're, shall we say, glorified in their question and their asking. And you're glad to give all the time you can. Because they've they have they have they pumped you up a little, right? Now this is we're talking about in human thinking, in human terms, this is the way we react. And it's a broken way of reacting. But but the asking. The asking of someone to do something, to impart something to you, honors and glorifies that person. And when we go to God and ask Him boldly for things, we are glorifying and honoring God. We're exalting Him. We're acknowledging that we don't have the answers. He's always deserving of our worship and praise. Paul is praying a huge prayer. He's making a huge ask of God, and it leads him to acknowledge the greatness of God. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said the apostle ended with this doxology because he could do nothing else. This is where it leads. When you view the incredible plan and work of God, it's impossible to be unaffected and unimpressed with what he is doing. Glory is due Him, He says, in the church. He's purchased the church by extreme measures, shedding His own blood, redeeming us. This is worthy of endless praise and worship. He's chosen to accomplish His wondrous purposes through the church. In the church, the gospel is proclaimed. In the church, His law is taught. Here... His people are nurtured in grace. Here, His people are equipped for service. Here, He displays His glory by supernaturally unifying that which is diverse. All is done because God is able and faithful to do these little things. All glory. All glory belongs to the... To God through his church all glory is due God in Christ he says we understand what it means for him to glorify himself in and through the church but what does it mean for him to glorify himself in Christ if there's glory in the church then there must be glory in Christ is there not as his body we have the attributes his attributes accounted to us his righteousness his holiness and life is in us. We approach God with confidence because we are in Christ. Whatever we do is to His glory. He's abiding and working in us. We seek to obey Him, listen and follow His leadership, and surrender ourselves, submit ourselves to the working of His Spirit in us. He's producing incredible fruit for His own glory. In and through us, and for Christ. He's able to do more than we ask or think. But is He willing? Why, well, yes. <laughs> he is willing. Why? Because we are in Christ. Because we are in Christ, He is more than willing to work in us for His own glory. He's willing to do more than we can ever ask or imagine. And it's because the Father is passionate for his Son's glory. When tragedy and heartache comes to the believers, is there evidence that God is truly sovereign and loving? The answer will not be found in our circumstances. The answer is in God's character, as revealed in Christ. Cancers do come, tragedies do strike. One couple's baby lives and another dies. There may be no evidence of the sovereign personal love of God. What He is doing is beyond our asking or imagining. Yet there is glory to give Christ. He is the one whose very life and ministry proclaims God's goodness on the eternal plane. What He's doing is beyond all that we ask or imagine. It is for His eternal glory and eternal blessings of His people. His glory is due God in the church, in Christ, and it's for all eternity. How long will God keep the zeal for His own glory? For eternity, forever. The glory due God is throughout generations upon generations upon generations throughout time. It's endless. All creation, the entire universe future, will be filled with God's glory. It will never ebb, it will never fade, it will never end. Frank Thielman, theologian, professor, and author, has written about this passage of Scripture, and this is what he says This doxology praises the God who is able to accomplish what Paul desires for the letter's readers. God's power is immense. And He has made that power available to the church through the relationship that the church has with Christ Jesus. God's power works in the church by giving it resurrection life, victory over God's enemies, unity across ethnic lines, and peace with Himself. God's power also works within the church by means of God's Spirit and the indwelling Christ who encourages the church through helping it to understand the immensity of His grace. The God who is able to do all this and much more for the church is the God whom Paul praises. And when the church understands all that God has done for it in Christ Jesus, it too will praise God forever. Paul models for us how to approach God in prayer. We can and we should come to Him with great boldness, even with audacious requests. Because He's infinitely able. He's capable. He has the capacity. Because He is at work in us, abiding in us for His glory. And He deserves and receives glory for all of eternity. John Newton is renowned for his great hymn, Amazing Grace. But he wrote others. One in particular called Encouragement to Pray. The second verse is especially poignant for our discussion today. This is what it says. Thou art coming, thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. None can ever ask too much. Andrew Murray said, beware in your prayer above everything of limiting God, not only by unbelief, but by fancying that you know what He can do. When we pray boldly, we honor, we honor our infinitely able Father. When we lean into His power with our weakness, He is glorified. What kind of prayers do you pray? Are you mostly focused on physical needs and provisions? Are you more concerned with personal wants and preferences? Are you just thumbing through life's catalog, looking for the things this world affords us? Such things are not unimportant, but for many of us they comprise the bulk of our praying. Paul raises the bar in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. He has modeled how to think about and pray boldly. Do you find yourself being reluctant to pray this kind of prayer? Why? Why do you hesitate? I think it's because we are mindful of our own limitations. As my parents were instructing me, Our household has limited means. Don't over ask. But see, this is not the way Christians operate. Now granted, we're not to be rooted in trivial things, in temporal things, in selfish things. But to be thinking, to be thinking and imagining God's kingdom. The advancement, the expansion of God's kingdom. And asking bold things. Because our Father doesn't have limited means. Our Father is working in us to accomplish His purposes. They can defy our greatest expectations. How important is God's glory? I want to encourage you to pray in a manner that honors who He is and all that He's done. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you so much for the example that we have in people like Paul who simply got it. (laughs) He just simply got it. He understood through experience, through your word, Lord, your teaching of him, that you are so much more than we ever imagine and our asking is often limited by our own limited views and understanding Lord I pray that you might radically change the way we view you your capacity your desires your presence in our own lives and that we might change the way we interact with you through our praying Lord, we would not be uh, wasting our time or spending excessive time on these temporal things, but that we would be focused on Your kingdom, Your eternal kingdom, and that the bigness of Your kingdom, Lord, might match the bigness of our asking. Do it for Your own glory. Do it that Your glory might be personified, might be manifested in and through us, Do it that Christ would be glorified. For we ask it in his name. Amen.